Hello, and welcome to When It Goes Wrong, the podcast exploring disasters, accidents, and times when everything falls apart. I'm Jasmine, your host, and on this episode, we'll be covering crush disasters, mainly Hillsborough, where in 1989, 97 people were killed at a football game in Sheffield. We'll then summarise some other crushes, such as Astro World, where in 2021, 10 people were killed at a concert in Houston, Texas, and the Love Parade Festival crush in Germany. This episode is part two of a two-part series, uh, so please make sure that you've listened to part one, uh, otherwise a lot of this won't make sense. Well, thank you for, for coming back for part part two to yeah finish off the Hillsborough Hillsborough chat and then talk about a few other other crushes as I mentioned. Uh, before I jump in, as always, please do follow me on Instagram at when it goes wrong pod uh, and and like and subscribe wherever you're listening. Uh, so as a bit of a recap. Uh, from last time. So last time we covered all of the kind of considerations uh, in the lead up to the Hillsborough disaster. Uh, So we talked about the previous crushes, uh, the kind of culture of football and the culture of of hooliganism at the time, uh, how football matches were managed. uh, And then we covered the disaster itself, uh, which resulted in the death of 97 people uh, and some of the kind of initial aftermath, such as identifying the bodies and the uh, horrific media reports that were out at the time. So in terms of what happened next, so initially, as soon as the incident happened, it then went to the first coroner's review. And so in November 1990, the inquests uh, into into the deaths were properly started. And these were done under a coroner called Dr. Popper. And Dr. Popper decided to limit all of the information in the inquest to a cutoff time of 3.15 p.m. And so what he was basically saying was that he believed that everyone who had died, died of their injuries in the nine minutes after play was stopped. So therefore all died by 3.15. And that meant that he thought that therefore anything which happened after 3.15 was not relevant to the inquest and therefore would not be considered. And this was a very controversial point as part of the whole issue of of what happened next, because you know, this really angered the victims and, and the families of those who died because it meant that they wouldn't consider anything that happened after 3.15. So they wouldn't consider the, the further responses of how the police handled things. They wouldn't consider things like how the emergency services handled things. Uh, and this, yeah, was really a, a very, I mean, a very awful decision that the inquest made in order to do this. And I mentioned last time about Kevin Williams, who was the, the 15-year-old boy who who died and this 3.15 point became a real thing for his mum, Anne, because basically her she had had evidence from people that her son was seen alive and was carried off alive and was seen alive after 3.15. And so if that was the case, then how on earth could the coroner only be limiting evidence and information to that 315 cutoff when she knew that he was alive after that point but the inquest just would not take any of this evidence they just would not discuss any of it and they really drew that line uh, and people really saw that this was done to help favor the police and to help favor uh, what what they did part of the coroner's inquest uh, all victims were determined to have died by crush asphyxia Uh, which we mentioned in the last episode. And Dr. Popper determined the cause of death for all 96 as accidental death. 
Uh, and that really angered the families because they wanted an open verdict or an unlawful killing verdict so that they could look into the actions of the police and the authorities uh, and what they had done. But by doing accidental death, that basically shut all of those things down. And I had a quote from Anne Williams here that I just wanted to read, uh, which says... I mean, to this day, there's a death certificate which I will not pick up, which has traumatic asphyxia listed as his cause of death. Traumatic asphyxia was not the cause of Kevin's death, and the only way you can get a death certificate changed is through a new inquest. So that was my aim, to get a new inquest, to get the record put straight, to get the right cause of death on his certificate, the right verdict. Only then would I collect Kevin's death certificate. So that was my aim. I wanted the government to put the record straight. And so I think it's important to to kind of highlight that because that then, you know, the the results of this inquest and of the Taylor report, which I'm about to talk about, meant that they didn't get the justice that they wanted. And this then led to a, a decades long fight in order to get the justice that, that they that they required. Following the disaster, alongside the inquest that we talked about, uh, the government set up an inquiry. Um, in order to look into into Hillsborough. Uh, and this inquiry was led by Lord Justice Taylor, uh, which then led to the report, which is now no known as the Taylor Report. And the Taylor Report was in some ways welcomed by the families because in this, in this first report, it was the first time that the report really heavily criticised the police and the actions that they took uh, in order to, to kind of account for what happened. Uh, so in the report, it focused on uh, the fact that the police had done no provision for crowd control. They didn't manage the number of people entering the stadium. They did not manage the the monitor the numbers going into the pens. Uh, and as it said in the report, it was a blunder of the first magnitude. And I think that that is so fair because I think fundamentally, if you look at what the actual key thing is in this whole disaster was that if you literally just had a policeman blocking off the entrance to that tunnel this would not have happened and so the fact that it could have just been one thing that could have just changed the lives of hundreds thousands of people it, it's just awful and that is clearly the the thing that went wrong they didn't manage the capacity in the pens and so they had no then ability to 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 manage it once it got too full it was then very hard to move people to the right areas uh, the report said that there was no effective leadership to manage the crush once it happened. Uh, the police were, like I said, kind of led to their thinking that it was a pitch invasion rather than doing anything else. So they basically kind of like prepared for like a riot rather than preparing to actually help people that were really in, you know, genuine need. They, uh, The Taylor report also basically kind of said that the police were, was, were pretty invasive. Invasive? That's not the word I want. Pretty invasive. I think that's a word I want. Um, in terms of like, uh, like they they didn't answer any of the questions that they wanted in the inquest. Heavily denied any wrongdoing, and yeah, just just did not cooperate at all. Uh, in the Taylor report, he said that the behaviour of the fans was secondary, and he specifically said that most fans were not drunk, nor even the worse for drink. Um, and he said that the police overemphasised this. And then one part that he did say that was disputed by the family was that he said he found no fault on the part of the emergency services uh, and their responses, so fire and ambulances, uh, which, yeah, meant that they were were not not kind of looked into further and, and was a point that they, the families weren't hugely pleased with. 
And so I think one of the key things that then came out uh, as a result of the Taylor report was that there was a really big shift then in the UK around uh, around football stadiums and around football matches and their safety. So um, literally as soon as this happened, uh, most of the the fencing that was around stadiums in the UK was pulled down, uh, especially around the pens. But also what happened is that in a lot of stadiums, standing in general was just completely removed. So if you look across um, the Premier League uh, following this incident, the majority of the Premier League big stadiums were, all standing was removed and the stadiums were converted to be fully seated. Uh, And this was, and then especially for new stadiums that have been built moving forward, uh, they were built again, planning to be all seated. And this is what I meant in that, in terms of like, when I looked into this, I was surprised, like my whole life, all stadiums have been all seated. So to then think that, um, that before this, they, they weren't, uh, I thought that that was, yeah, an interesting an interesting point, but it did mean that following Hillsborough and following the changes to All Seated, we just haven't had any of these these types of incidents since, which clearly is a very positive thing. Following the Taylor report, there was then continued campaigning by the families in order to get continued justice. Uh, like I said, they wanted new inquests. They wanted new, you know, things put on the record for what had actually happened. They didn't just want that Taylor report. Anne Williams said she wanted a new death certificate and that was what, what they were pushing for. Uh, so they formed the Hillsborough Family Support Group and they supported as many people as they could and... I think it's, you know, it's important to note that a lot of people were really impacted psychologically after this event. Uh, And, you know, and there is a lot of, they can link, sadly, people who have taken their own lives, you know, due to the impacts of this day. So there was really a need to to group together to provide support, to provide that kind of community to all those that are involved. And basically, this campaigning then went on for like 20 years. So the for the next 20 years, the families campaigned for, for all the documents to be released, uh, for there to be a new inquest, uh, for everything like that. And in that time, you know, there was lots of events that they held, uh, lots of things that they did at, at different uh, matches to get kind of coverage, all that, all that kind of stuff, which you can which you can read into. But generally, over the 20 years, it it just wasn't progressed very much. uh, And nothing really happened until uh, on the 20th anniversary, a few other people got involved, including Andy Burnham, who was an MP at the time, um, who then very much pushed for the release and for uh, further investigation. So this then finally led to an independent being independent panel being formed in 2009 and this was and so yeah 20 years after the actual event had happened and the job of this panel was to manage the disclosure of of all documentation so they were going to release every bit of document that they could to the public manage all of that uh, and then manage uh, the aftermath and produce a report of their findings and so this panel uh, worked for over three years in order to do this uh, they were headed up by a man called James Jones who was the Bishop of Liverpool who everyone saw as a, as a good independent person in order to lead lead this work uh, and what the panel did is that it created a full archive of all documents which was released online and then they released a 389 page report which covered 
every aspect of the detail in every aspect of the disaster in loads of detail uh, and yeah literally covers everything so I said at the end of the last episode but a lot of the content from this I admit I have not read all 389 pages but uh, I have taken as much as I can from that report and so what the report said was that the disaster was not at the fault of any of the Liverpool fans then also said that the overall authorities failed in making the area safe. And there was a quote here of, there is a trail of new documents which show the extent to which the safety of the crowd at Hillsborough was compromised at every level. The ground failed to meet minimum standards and the deficiencies were well known. The turnstiles were inadequate. The ground capacity had been significantly overcalculated. The crush barriers failed to meet safety standards. There had been a crush at exactly the same match the year before and today's report shows clearly that lessons had not been learned. And that was what I think I was saying at the beginning of last episode. Like It was so clear that if people had just done so, you know what I mean? Like this could have been prevented in so many different ways if people had just really taken taken note and taken care of it. The panel also found that police uh, were the fault uh, of the crowd control in every, every way that led to the crush in a similar way that the um, Taylor report found. Uh, and then it also, but then really damned the police in terms of saying the police purposefully tried to cover up their failings in lies narratives and mm, i've put a word in my script and i have to say it's i don't think it's a word i've ever said out loud obfuscations i feel like i've only ever written that word and never said it obfuscations we'll go with that yeah yeah um uh, and then yes uh, so yes they basically did all of this stuff to cover up their lies uh, and they did this quote to develop and publicize a version of events that focused on allegations of drunkenness ticketlessness and violence the report also found that the, the police had purposefully altered 164 statements from witnesses uh, to remove criticisms of the police. Uh, like I said, they questioned everyone about their alcohol. They alcohol tested all of the victims, including children, and they were shown to have passed lies to the press. So it was a very damning report because honestly, all of that stuff in that list is just awful, right? I just cannot believe that they altered the the statements of so many people to specifically remove any comments about the police and what they've done, uh, which, yeah, was was awful. The independent panel then also found that the emergency services were at fault uh, with their incident response. Uh, they found that many victims could have been saved if they had had better support. Uh, and, and all the way to, like, really basic things, like the victims, like, hadn't been put in the recovery position. They'd just been left flat on their back. So they just had no chance. They just had no chance even from the very basic things that had happened uh, in order to, to be saved. And then finally, uh, they officially at this point said that the 3.15pm cutoff was not relevant for the inquests and the first inquest had been totally inadequate. Uh, and it says in, quote, by analysing post-mortem reports, the panel found that 28 did not have obstruction of blood circulation and 31 had evidence of heart and lungs continuing to function after the crush. This means that individuals in those groups could have, have had potentially reversible asphyxia beyond 315 in contrast to the findings of the coroner and the subsequent judicial review. 
So that, and that was really what the families wanted and needed was they wanted that line changed and they wanted this to, to validate what they, what they knew and what they thought uh, so that uh, this could lead to a new inquest. And it did, did lead to a new inquest. Uh, so there was then a second set of inquests that happened where they fully quashed the first round uh, and this put all the cause of deaths of Hillsborough um, as unlawful killing as it should have been right from the start. Now I'm not going to finally uh, about Hillsborough. I'm not. There's there's some stuff I haven't covered just because it's such a like like I said, 389 pages of a report means that there's so much content out there. There's so much information that there's just there's just too much to cover. I feel like I've covered the kind of key points. The other kind of key thing, which I'm not going to dive into, but just to note that there were a lot of court cases that kind of peppered this timeline alongside the the inquests and the panels and all of that type of stuff the the man who was in charge david duckinfield was was charged and prosecuted several times um he's never been found guilty of any charge and he was specifically found not guilty when he went to trial in 2019 and there were then other people that were kind of around this that were also prosecuted Uh, as far as i could see the only charges that have ever been laid and upheld as part of hillsborough were around things around perverting the course of justice uh nothing else around any kind of like unlawful killing verdict or court case uh, but like I said, I didn't, um, it's taken weeks just to get everything that I've talked about. So I just, yeah, I, I just, I, I left the court cases. Uh, so if you, if you want to to dive into them, uh, then yeah, like I say, I'll talk about references at the end and you can uh, crack on there. Phew. So I'm going to finish Hillsborough there. I hope that that was interesting. I, if you were from the UK, like I say, you might have known all of that. I very much didn't know all of that. I had heard a lot about Hillsborough since I moved back. And, you know, you occasionally see headlines about it all the time. Um, But I just never, I never put all the pieces together. And so putting them all together, yeah, you you really do realize that it is just such a horrific, a horrific thing that happened. But then the injustices that happened after it, that was, that was the bit that I really just didn't grasp. So yeah, really important to cover, I think. So now we're going to cover two other crushes and in some ways there are kind of similar vibes like in terms of what had happened and the aftermath I think across all of them um but yeah we'll we'll see see what we think at the end. So first I'm going to cover Astro World. Like I said, I think I said in the last episode, I'm not going to cover Astro World and Love Parade in huge amounts of detail. We're just going to kind of high level skim through uh, those two so that if uh, you do fancy a, another full episode on them, drop me a Instagram message and I will make sure to get on that. But yeah, first of all, I'm going to talk about Astro World. So Astro World was a two-day concert which was put on by rapper Travis Scott in Houston, Texas. Not going to lie, not a big... I mean, this is basically an episode where I talk about all the things I'm not familiar with. Football and rap. Uh, so I I only clicked the other day that Travis Scott was like Kylie Jenner's person. Yeah, I'm going to double check that before I leave that in because now I'm questioning myself. Anyway, 
he was a rapper. He arranged this uh, this festival for him to headline along with side with some other rap stars to uh, to attend. Uh, and so on the, yeah, so two-day concert and what happened was it was just a very rowdy concert by the sounds of it. So even on the first day, like from like 9 a.m., it was clear that the kind of like control and management of the festival was quite challenging. It was clear that it was it was quite a, a hectic and intense time uh, and that it was going to be a, a challenge to to manage the crowd and manage all the areas in the way that they needed to and they even from the beginning kind of had questions about like how many people should be there how to to manage the crowds effectively originally they wanted to, to have a hundred thousand people but then they eventually cut it to fifty thousand in order to manage them better and so, yeah, even from the beginning of the day, even at 9am, the crowds were breaking barriers. There just didn't seem to be enough staff to kind of manage the crowds. Uh, they were, you know, they were, there was lots of like random crowd surfing. And just generally it was all quite volatile. And it meant that throughout the day, a lot of people were injured. A lot of people had been sent to the hospital. It was just clear that the management of the festival maybe wasn't going in the way that that we would have hoped and so at the festival they essentially had two stages so they had one stage which was used in the day for like all the other acts that were that were performing and then there was one stage which was called the main stage which was a stage that was going to be used in the evening by Travis Scott for his set and basically, uh, in order to to appear on that main stage, uh, they had set this like countdown, uh, which then started uh, being shown all over the site to say it's going to be 30 minutes until he arrives out on stage. And so what this meant was that then you already had quite a lot of people who were at the main stage just waiting for Travis, just chilling there. But then you also had loads of people who were at the other stage who then, when that finished it was someone called i think called scissor sza who was performing on the other stage when they finished basically you then had this like rush of all the people going to that one stage together and actually it's interesting i mean we're going to talk about what we learned at the end but um i was reading about how really for safe crowd management especially at festivals you should always have more than one act playing at any one time because that's like one of the best kind of crowd management mechanisms is to make sure there's just more than one thing going on so therefore people can kind of wander off and and go where they need to go uh, in order to to um yeah have some space and so yeah so but this what this then just happened meant that we had these kind of two big crowds that were converging into into one place and where Scott was performing on that main stage it just wasn't like designed in the best way so again if you google Astro World Crush Map it will picture this much better than I can try and paint with my words uh, but what the main stage had is that they'd, been, they'd basically split it into like four sections and so what they had done so just imagine a big field with the stage is they had put up barriers in kind of a big cross through the middle of it to try and keep a path free for like emergency responders, staff to be able to walk through so that they had this, you know, ability to kind of like walk through this giant crowd uh, without, like, you know, easily without having to push their way through. 
But then what they also had, what's named as like a platform within the crowd as well, which I'm assuming is just a platform that they um, they were like filming the performance from, uh, you know, where they were doing some lighting, special effects, that kind of thing. And so what this meant was that you had this kind of area, which like in theory was fully open and was like just a big field. But in reality was not in reality you had these kind of four quadrants and one quadrant specifically which was the quadrant where the majority of people died in was called the south quadrant and the problem with the south quadrant was that first of all it was the area that was closest to the other stage so when people finished and went over they would kind of hit the south quadrant first but the south quadrant had because of all these barriers and the pl- where the platform was, it was the only bit of the of the field where it was actually bought, barriered in again on three sides. So it actually ended up having three sides that were totally blocked, uh, which then then meant that it was quite an enclosed space, similar to um, Hillsborough. You know, we're talking about an area; it's blocked off on three sides. It's only got one entrance in. That entrance in is full of people. That's really difficult. So yeah, so basically once the countdown started and then once Travis started performing, this crush started. So the crowd just got more and more compressed, especially in the area uh, around the south bit. Uh, And then, yeah, when he started, everyone pushed forward, as you would expect, uh, which then led to, to further compression. And it was, again, one of these ones where you kind of question how the authorities acted as part of it. So even at the earliest, even at the early time, the authorities didn't know something was wrong. They knew that there were injuries and issues. They already knew that the crowd was so dangerous that they didn't think they could enter it to, to administer help to some people. But even with this kind of being highlighted, the concert continued. So this is nine o'clock. The concert continued until about something like 20 past 10. So they did basically almost a full set, uh, which just seems very odd because you just can't believe that you've got a crowd where people are literally dying in one portion of it and they just carry on. But then I then think about it logically and you're like, well, if it is, you know, like if it is a really rowdy festival, like what's the difference between people like yelling for help versus just being excited and and cause you know what I mean like in like enjoying the the crowd which is exactly the same with Hillsborough right like people didn't think that they were in trouble people just thought that they were kind of like rioting and and doing whatever they were doing they didn't really click that it it kind of came together and what definitely happened to lead to the deaths at Astro World was much more around uh, crowd collapse uh, so the crowd did start to collapse in different areas and the people that did died it's very much shown that it was more because they had fallen and then been crushed or the crowd collapsed and then people fell on them and crushed them in that sense um and then yeah kind of people passing out once they had done that um which you know is is awful and so yeah the concert carried on the crush carried on and people yeah really tried desperately to get out but you know as as people try and get out and people try and leave you then the crowd then gets more and more dangerous as those types of actions happen because you've got people moving in different directions you've got kind of like unbalanced forces everything like that which is just yeah not ideal and so in total 10 people died the majority like i said were in that south quadrant 
Uh, and it's clear that they kind of died throughout the concert. So it wasn't just all at, at one stage, all at the beginning. They, like I said, I think I said at the beginning of the last one, the, what I find hard about some of these is that it was all filmed so again in this one you have all this video footage of all these people and thankfully a lot of it i'm sure if you properly digged for it you probably could see it but a lot of it you can't see the really graphic uh videos that you know actual show 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 death but you can see a lot of of the kind of surrounding footage and people other people that you know didn't die but were, were kind of injured like what was happening to them and it was just awful and so of the people that died they they've analyzed all the video footage around it to kind of say like what to try and see what had happened to people and so they can see in one case they found that one man was seen falling like like almost at the start of the concert but then was never never seen getting up again uh, which just yeah so clearly shows that it was it was dangerous even from the very beginning moment and then yeah other videos that shown kind of like people like crowds of people collapsing and then and then the the kind of crush of people on top of each other um of those uh they were all declared death as as a cause of compressive asphyxia as already said with the other ones um, alongside that, 25 people were hospitalized and 300 people were treated for injuries. So yeah, it's it was a really, I mean, and this was like recent. I remember I remember this happening just just a couple of years ago. And so I'm not going to go into a lot loads of the aftermath. Like I said, I can cover that again if we want to. But there was a lot similar to hillsborough like everyone blames everyone else so there's been a lot of uh, blame between the authorities between travis scott who had previously actually been had issues around inciting a crowd to kind of act in in bad ways so wh- what he did and how he acted and what and how he helped or didn't help um the organization the organizers of the festival uh you know the thinking about the physical location all of this kind of came together to to contribute to this incident but the majority of the kind of lawsuits and stuff are still going uh so uh, i think that this is going to be very much a, a watch this space for for future episodes to consider Let's get on to our final crush that we're going to talk about, uh, which was the Love Parade crush, which happened in 2010 in Germany, in Dweeburg. Dweeburg? I heard them say it on the... I watched something and I heard them say it. And now I'm doubting myself. Dweeburg. That's definitely not right. Um, So anyway, Love Parade was a long-running festival that ran in Germany, which was for partiers and ravers. Uh, so again, a topic <laughs> that I'm not familiar or an expert in. Um, but it was a free event uh, and it had lots of like musical acts on. But then it also, what kind of made it famous was it had these like floats. So these like moving trucks basically that like that like drove very slowly in the audience, which had like different DJs and different things happening on them that people could uh, jump on board or follow or or you know, get involved when. 
Um, and so often what they had done was that it would kind of be done throughout a town. Um, but in 2010, they changed the format of it to kind of being in a one specific enclosed area. Uh, and so they uh, found the area that they wanted in this in this town, and they made these plans to to do this to to set up the festival. And previously, you know, the the numbers of people going would be like in the millions, but because of the kind of constrained size of the festival this time, they made these plans to allow two hundred fifty thousand people in. Um, and the whole area itself was like fenced off to meet the safety regulations in order to to go ahead. But what this meant that in order to get into the parade, there was basically only one way in and one way out, which was through what they would call the main ramp. And the main ramp basically was like a tunnel which led under a road, which then allowed people into the festival. There was one other small ramp to the west, um, but it was much smaller and wasn't really, yeah, covering many people. So in reality, the main ramp was really the the kind of only entry and exit area, uh, and entry and exit route into the area. And previous to the day, there had been concerns raised about crowds and about how that would work. Um, and so what they tried to do is they, they did a load of like crowd modeling before the event itself to try and show that it would work. Uh, but unfortunately, it very much did not. And so there were quite a few things that contributed to the incident itself. Uh, so on the day, the entrance was opened an hour later than planned, which meant even from the very beginning of the morning uh, that there was already kind of a buildup of people trying to get in. And as we'll talk about, when you have two big groups of people trying to go in opposite directions that's really when the issues will start in terms of uh yeah you want you don't want two two big crowds going in opposite ways and this was very much then what would happen with this space because it was the only way in and the only way out and so yeah so there was already a build up of people coming in then when they entered through the main ramp the idea was that the kind of the floats like i said the big trucks would kind of like lead people away from the ramp area. So people would kind of like see them and follow them and, and move away to then allow more people to get in safely. Uh, but unfortunately that very much didn't happen. That kind of, they were just a bit more of like an impediment issue uh, kind of coming uh, uh, in front, which kind of slowed people down, which was, which was the issue. And this really became the kind of core issue in this case, because you had lots of people trying to get in. So a big build up on one side, but then you had a very thin ramp in the middle where people could come in but then once they got in there wasn't a quick kind of exit point out so it it just meant that you had like build up on both sides with then a very kind of like tight space in the middle which obviously isn't good so eventually once the crowding kind of started happening on the main ramp they basically uh the organizers said to the police like look police can you can you sort this out and the police tried to do this through like different different mechanisms. They tried to like put in cordons. They tried to close off certain entrances and exits. And they tried to kind of like put pushes in to push people forward and, and get people out. But it but basically it didn't work. And in some cases it made it worse. And I'm not familiar enough with this one to be able to go through the exact kind of movements, step by step movements of what did happen, which I'm sure I can do in a future episode. Um, but it, yeah, it was very clear that it 
there was just a lot of attempts to control the crowd, which just made it worse and just concentrated more and more people in that main ramp area. And the thing is, is that the main ramp, ramp, like I said, it was kind of coming under from a tunnel and then up a ramp into the festival area, which meant that then you were in an area that had very high walls on each side. So what it was an area where, again, you're pinned in from, from all different areas and there's just not an easy way for people to get out. And so people did try and get out and eventually they saw that there was like this staircase in one side of one bit of the tunnel. But then what happened is, is that as soon as people on the ramp saw the staircase, it kind of then like incited panic and a lot of people kind of like pushing and trying to get to it. And that then just made the crowd and the crush just worse and worse. And so some people tried to climb out, but not everyone could. And basically this just then led to this giant crush of people in this, in this ramp. And then within that, again, people then uh, were, were compressed and either just died within the crowd itself um, or fell down uh, and were, were crushed uh, by, by other people. I mean, this one very much was recognized as a crush early on, which was, which was good. But actually, even though it was recognized as a crush and people tried to do things, those things weren't successful and clearly it didn't lead to a good outcome um, because it did lead to, it led to 21 deaths in total, 15 people died in the crowd itself. Uh, six people died later in hospital. Uh, and again, they were all declared as traumatic or compressive asphyxia. And there were over 500 people injured uh, just in that in that bit itself. But again, like the others, like I say, 2010, there's so much like video footage of the, the crowd itself. And again, I mentioned this in the other one, but like we've all been in a crowd that hasn't felt particularly comfortable, I'm sure. And you can just see, you can just see these like images and I'm just like, you know what? This is exactly why I don't like going to, like I don't like crowds in general, um, but like I, you know, I do even in, I don't go to many concerts or festivals or that kind of thing because I just don't, I don't get enough benefit out of them to to manage the the stress that I feel from kind of being in these really crowded places. Um, and then again, like Hillsborough, like Astro World, there was a lot of aftermath of blame between the different parties that were involved, the police, the organizer of the festival, um, the crowd itself, and then the city who kind of approved the licenses, the mayor that approved the the area that the, the festival would take place on. They all kind of blamed each other. Um, but no charge, no charges were eventually led against any of the parties who were involved. So yeah, another another really really yeah tragic one that that just led to again very predictable and preventable, uh, but unfortunately did still happen. And yeah, and to be honest, you can like I've covered those three. There's there's other crushes that I did look into. So the Ite one crush. Uh, which happened in South Korea on the 29th of October, 2022, super recently. Um, I'm sure you heard about it, but that one was where there were a load of like teens and 20 year olds in South Korea in Seoul who were, who were out for Halloween. Uh, and it was the first kind of Halloween post COVID. And basically uh, they were out in kind of like a nightclub area where there was like two main parallel roads that were quite busy. And then these like thin streets between them. And basically there was just like two big crowds that were trying to go different ways. And so one went up, tried to go up this street and one tried to go down the street. 
And it resulted in just a giant crush and then a giant crowd collapse. Um, and it resulted in 159 people dying. Um, and yeah, isn't that, which is just awful. And I think this is the thing is that just these things do keep happening. And just the sheer numbers of people involved is just always awful. Um, and I mean, I know there's many, many crowds that are very successful, but yeah, it does put you off. And then even... Even more recently, uh, in uh, in this year, where if you're in the UK and in London, which where I am, so probably why I've heard about it a lot. But recently, in in the Brixton O2 Academy, um, there was a big crush uh, earlier in the year where ticket people without tickets kind of rushed the venue, and it resulted in two people dying. Um, and now they've they've closed they've closed the venue, revoked the license for it. So yeah, it, it, it's still happening. We're going to go into what we learn, and I promise we have learned a lot of stuff, which is good. But it is still a danger. And what I have learned through all of this research is to not go in a crowd, which I realise is easier said than done. But you know what I mean. Be aware of your crowds. I think is a key thing. Um, I think anyone that listens to this is probably aware of their aware of their surroundings. But I think, yeah, this has made me a bit more wary. I think. Uh, but yes, but we have learned other things. I promise. So I think the key thing here is that I mentioned it in the last episode. The kind of concept of like crowd science is very much a thing. And that's really good. And so there's lots of now methods out there to really control crowds in a very methodical and effective manner. If you look at, I remember I was watching Glastonbury last month and just, you know what I mean? When you looked at it and the sizes of those crowds, like I watched the Elton John set and you just, it was just ginormous. And, you know, you look at those types of crowds and you're like, look, crowds can be done safely. And that's because we've had these things. We've learned stuff. We know what to do, which is really good. So the key thing here is very much around making sure that we have the right, the enough space and then making sure that the right number of people are in the space itself. So that's, that's always key. That goes back to crowd density. I talked about right at the beginning. How can we make sure that we're doing that in the right way? Um, And then what it also means is kind of like diverting people in the right way. So often I noticed this at uh, in London tube stations when they do a lot of crowd control, they will often send people a very, I mean, if anyone has been to bank station at (laughs) at rush hour, they will send you in such a convoluted way where you're walking like up and down stairs and around and down and everywhere. And you're like, oh my God, I'm sure that there's literally probably one tunnel that will get me there. But they try and, you know, now really divert people in a much wider and, and different way to slow the people hitting any area at once. Um, and so noticing these kind of uh, kind of things is really key. The other key thing is around keeping crowds calm. As soon as kind of people start to push, panic, uh, anything like that, that makes any crowd issues much worse. So how can we keep crowds as calm as possible? Another reason why I shouldn't be in a crowd because I'm not going to be calm. Um, and then also uh, just, you know, really making sure that we plan things around like entrances and exits, uh, but also things, you know, making sure that we don't have areas that are closed in on three sides, making sure it's not tunnels and things that that, that lead to entrances uh, to, to make sure that that is the case. 
Um, from a Hillsborough point of view, what we learned there is, you know, there's been a real shift, like I said, in in stadiums uh, where we now have much more seated stadiums, and just in general, the safety in stadiums has has you know radically improved. It's not just the seating bits, you know, even like um like what I said with the turnstiles and and the approaches, all of that has changed now. There's been such such improvements in it. Uh, but though what I did find interesting is that in the last couple of years, uh, they have now actually started to reintroduce standing in football stadiums. And I read a long paper that the government have released about that, uh, which is where they now call it safe standing. Uh, and it is in, yeah, like I said, in some kind of Premier League uh, stadiums. Um, but basically it's very different in that it's almost like where you... It's almost like a seated bit, but the seats aren't there and you just stand. So you still have like the same space as if you were in a seat, but you you stand instead. Um, So it's done in a very different way. And then there's kind of barriers per row. So, you know, and and I think people liked to stand. They got a lot of kind of culture and stuff out of it. Um, And so if that is what people want, uh, being able to implement that and and pilot it and manage it in a different way, I think uh, is clearly a benefit. Well, there we go. References, references, references. Hillsborough. Like I said in the last episode, Hills... I've got to find the name of it and I haven't put it in the right place. That was very useless of me. And I've gone past it, doing even better. There we are. The book Hillsborough Voices, the real story told by the people themselves by Kevin Sampson. There's quite a few Hillsborough books out there, but I very much enjoyed that one. Uh, it's exactly as it said. So it's it's literally by the people that were involved, by people that were in the crowd, by people who had loved ones uh, die in the instant. Uh, also, you know, like the political figures were involved, some of the footballers. Uh, I thought it was a very effective way of showing what had happened in a way that really respected those that were involved. So if you do want a book, I recommend that. Uh, I will also link the independent panel report. Like I said, it's very long, but it has a good summary at the front. So if you do want to read that and get into it, uh, then you can. I did not re-watch it for this episode, but years ago I watched a documentary called literally just called Hillsborough, which had a lot of video footage of the actual event. I found it I found it very hard watching, as I've talked about previously. If you did want to watch it, I did find it. I think it's on BritBox. I think you can watch it via Amazon Prime, but I did not pay for it to rewatch it. But it is out there. The other ones that I wanted to shout out, Astro World, there was a very good Washington Post article which uh, covered everything in a lot of detail, which I will link. There was also two YouTube documentaries on Astro World, which are both uh, reasonable. Uh, one called Countdown to Tragedy, which is about an hour and another longer one. Um, I'll link both. Worth worth having a watch. They're kind of... Sometimes, sometimes you kind of feel like they're just putting a bit of filler in, but um, it still covers everything and goes into a lot of detail. Um, and then for Love Parade, the best thing I found was a Dark Records YouTube video. It's about 20 minutes long, um, but definitely worth a watch. It has lots of video of the event and a very clear um, kind of like high level photos of what's happening and where like where the cordons were and all that kind of stuff. So uh, yes, have a watch of that one if that's the one you're interested in. And I think that's all. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, like I say, follow me on Instagram at when it goes wrong pod. You can also email me. Um, it's when it goes wrong pod 
at gmail.com. Uh, always love to have an email. Uh, and yeah, please do rate, subscribe, uh, and let me know what you think. <laughs>